realized when his kids got up here, you guys did not look at him at all after that. It was just like, whatever's happening here is the most important thing, and that's how it is. Every Sunday, whenever they leave, you guys all look at them, and it's great. I just don't even say anything anymore. So, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 33. We're going to try to cover this whole chapter today. And you say, wow, okay, how are we going to do this? Well, recently, I watched a comedian. And you know what I didn't do when I watched a comedian for an hour? I didn't watch my clock wishing it was over. You know what I did? I laughed. Because that's what you do when you watch a comedian. If you were to read First and Second Corinthians, and you were sitting in a church in Corinth as these books were read, when Paul starts 2 Corinthians 11 and he talks about foolishness, and we'll see in this chapter that he talks about folly, foolishness, he is meaning to make a little lighter. Because remember what he says in chapter 10, that his words are strong and heavy? And notice how he starts chapter 11, which we just read. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So usually in our church, we don't come here and laugh a lot. I may say, say a few things that sometimes I mean to say and sometimes I don't mean to say. We heard at the beginning of our service that the microphone just went off, which is why I'm not wearing one, because we think that was the problem. And what do you do when those things happen? You didn't plan that. You just have to smile like, okay. <laughs> just, okay, we didn't plan that. It just, it just happened. Well, when it comes to uh, God's word, God uses men who have a sense of humor. And Paul has a sense of humor, and it comes out in 2 Corinthians 11. So if you were sitting there in Corinth listening to this, you may be smiling. Oh, there he goes again. Oh, Paul. It's like an old grandfather who's got the respect of the family, and he sits around, and he tells the same old jokes, and the, the kid's like, uh, yeah, that, that was funny the first time we heard it, not the 30th time, or, or whatever. And we just know some people, and whenever you talk to someone who's really funny, you're expecting, oh man, they're going to say a singer. They're going to say something that's really funny. And you're just waiting. You just want to talk to them until you hear something and, and it makes your day that you heard something funny. Well, Paul is going to talk about here humor. And humor is helpful in, in this passage 10, 11, and 12 in defending his ministry. So in his foolishness, uh, what we're going to see today is using humor to defend your ministry, humorous defending, and at times of defending ourselves in our ministry, and at times as a parent, as times as a pastor, uh, and if I have someone in my office and it's a serious lady and it just is too, too thick and it's too, I just want to try to say something funny. I'm trying to think of something funny to say to just lighten the air a little bit. I think that's what Paul's doing here is just lightening the air a little bit of this strong, weighty, heavy material that he's written in his books, and now he's like, bear with me a little in my foolishness. And he's going to say that uh, in a, a couple of different ways here. As we serve Jesus, humor can be a thought-provoking, and he's going to provoke our thinking this morning, and a disarming tool in the minister's toolbox. Parents that use this well, um, and I'll, I'll tell you a story of how my mom used this. And I was probably 
uh, Winston's age, and I wanted to, um, or maybe a little older, and I didn't want to hold my mom's hand in crossing a busy street. She's like, okay, don't hold my hand. Here, just go. Go out there and get hit by a car. And she put her hand on my back, and I, no, no, mom, no, don't do that. And you, you moms are like, I can't believe she did that. She didn't really want me to get hit by a car, though. She didn't have this, oh, I hope my son gets hit and killed, so I have one less child. No, that's not what she was thinking. She was using humor to help me realize I needed her. And it was effective. I did, she didn't have to tell me. Okay, hold my hand now. Okay, now you moms, grandmothers may have done something similar, and that may not be the best parenting tactics today. Um, it wasn't child abuse. It didn't scar me for life. I still remember it, but I, don't, I, I remember it and I smile, right? So there are times when humor can help uh, lower someone's defenses and help them to think about what you're trying to get across to them. And that's what Paul's doing here in 2 Corinthians 11. So we read verses 1 through 11. And he says in verse 2, and we'll see how he uses humor. And humor is simple. And I'm going to use the word simple in my outline. It's going to be up here on the screen. And I get that from verse 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, he made, he made Eve uh, think in a complicated way that was confusing and then disobedient. Paul says, I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm not trying to uh, trick you like the serpent tricked Eve. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere, that word can also be translated simple, and pure devotion to Christ. I simply want you to be purely devoted to your Savior, Jesus. That's it. That's all I'm doing. Okay, so he's going to use humor in this passage to help uh, the Corinthians understand uh, some simple statements, simple exposure, simple comparisons, simple facts, and then some more comparisons at the end and explanations. We're going to focus our, our time on the first half of the chapter, uh, but we'll try to look at the whole chapter today. So humor can challenge error. How does it challenge error? Well, verses 1 through 3, we have simple statements of Paul's goals. We just read verse 3. Let's look at verse 2 as well. For I feel divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you. You are engaged to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Okay, so bear with me a little my foolishness, he says. And I have this divine jealousy that I want you to be purely devoted, simply devoted to your groom. You guys are all part of the bride of Christ, your betrothed. We are still in this betrothal or this engagement period where we haven't had the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Revelation 19. So in the church, as well as, and we'll see the New Jerusalem is also made up of uh, Israelites in the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel. The New Jerusalem has uh, gates, I believe, that have the 12 tribes and there's foundations uh, that are, oh, I might have this backwards, the, the 12 apostles. So the Old Testament believers, New Testament believers are all part of the Bride of Christ. And this is one place in the New Testament that talks about the Bride of Christ, um, of which the church, the Corinthian church, says, uh, Paul says to them, I betrothed you to one husband. You are simple. This is my goal. Because you are betrothed as a, uh, you're, you're um, spiritually to be faithful to the Lord only. I'm afraid, though, that as the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts cunningly 
will be led astray from a simple, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ. So simple statements of his goal. What is Paul's goal? He tells us. I just want you to be purely devoted to Christ. Verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept uh, a different gospel from the one you accepted, you will put up with it readily enough. Well, they shouldn't be listening to someone who tells them about a different Jesus or a different Holy Spirit or a different gospel. But these three things is how all false religions get something wrong. That's why they're false. If you don't believe, and we studied Jesus in, uh, last summer in Sunday school. It's on YouTube. You can look at that. And how all these false religions get Jesus wrong, and the Bible gets Jesus right. And so Paul's saying, if you get Jesus wrong, you have a different Jesus. That Jesus can't save. He's just man, or he's just God, or something wrong about Jesus. So we have to have, uh, we have to expose false teaching, falsehood. If you get Jesus wrong, if you get the Holy Spirit wrong, the Holy Spirit empowering people does not cause them to bark like dogs or roll down an owl or speak gibberish like baby talk. That's not what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the Bible. And there are thousands upon thousands of denominations of churches that believe along those lines about what the Holy Spirit empowering people to do. And it's bizarre. It's crazy. And we... We laugh at times with people, and you can watch YouTube videos on how to learn how to speak another uh, a gibberish. And if you can learn how to speak it, it's not a spiritual gift. It's a practice. <laughs> it's a skill. And so if, with the Holy Spirit's empowering people, we look through 1 Corinthians 14. Go back to that uh, sermon if you wonder what uh, the purpose of tongues uh, languages was, and uh, that passage talks about it. But exposing false teachers and Paul's doing this with a little foolishness here and saying there's only one Jesus there's only one spirit and you also would accept a different gospel and uh, around us right now uh, the Catholics are the biggest false religion that have a different gospel they don't have the same gospel we're not on the same team uh, they may sound like they have the same Jesus same spirit but when you say that you have to I'll be part of a church to be part of God's family? No, that's not what's in the Bible. You have to be in Christ to be part of God's family. And you see that over and over and over again. And we're secure in Christ and not in a, in a church. And there's much other, um, other things that we could expose false about to get through this passage. What Paul's doing here is helping the Corinthians to analyze false teachers and say, look at how, what they say about Jesus, if it's a different Jesus, you don't want to be purely and sincerely devoted to the wrong Jesus, okay? You don't want to, to expect the Holy Spirit to do something that's not uh, biblical, or you don't want to believe a gospel that does not lead you to eternal life. So, exposure of falsehood. Verses 5 and 6. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. It's actually in the Greek, super apostles. Now, this is humorous, because he's like, okay, these people that are teaching you another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, they are so far above me. And he's, he's humor. This is humorous. It's like, really? <laughs> like, when it comes to these people teaching falsehood, they're not super apostles. He is 
making fun of them. This is sarcastic, okay? And so, comparisons of the minister's strengths. Now, what do we know that they think of Paul physically? Well, look back with me at chapter 10. And we already looked at, or mentioned this verse, chapter 10, verse 10. So one chapter, it says, For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Okay, so this is what I think of Paul. Paul knows what they think of him, and he writes it in a letter. <laughs> this is why I think you guys, these guys are thinking this about me. And he's like, okay, that's fine. But I am not in the least, he says in the next chapter, inferior to these super apostles. These guys that are tall, dark, and handsome. They have, uh, they have um, the wrong Jesus, the wrong spirit, and the wrong gospel. But you guys want to follow them? Go follow them. But I'm not in the way, anyway, least to these super apostles. He made this up. We don't see super apostles anywhere else that I know of in scripture. But he's simply comparing strengths and weaknesses. Here is a small, probably, guy with phenomenal teaching and doctrine. And he's going to say that. And he says, you guys want to follow false teachers? <laughs> They're super apostles, and I'm, and I'm not. But I'm not, I'm not in the least inferior to them, verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, and he mentions that again, as he did in chapter 10. I am not so in knowledge. And if you were to read Paul, and we're going to, after 2 Corinthians, get into Romans. Whoever writes Romans has quite a lot of knowledge. There is no one that reads Romans and says, eh, that's a light book. You feel like, what? We could take, as we go through Romans, one verse a week and barely do it justice because of how rich and deep and how logical that book is. Someone wrote Romans that knows a lot, that has a lot of knowledge. And Paul's going to prove that as he writes the next book after 2 Corinthians. But he tells the Corinthians here, I am, and not the least, in fear to these super apostles, and even if I lack what I lack in unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Of course, he's using humor here, and indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. He has written two, this is the end of the second lengthy book, of which he has given a lot of knowledge to the Corinthians about what they need to, uh, to be humble under God, in the first book, and now to be effective ministers for God in the second book. And now he's uh, de defending himself by simply comparing uh, his physical strength to his mental strength. And he's probably saying, if you were to, to read this and think, what's more important? Do you want a guy that looks impressive as a leader and has false teaching? Or do you want a guy that's small, little, speeches of no account? But he's given you God's word. He knows Jesus. He has a simple and pure devotion to Christ. And he's helping you to have a simple and pure devotion to Christ too. Which would you rather have? And unfortunately, most of the world would rather have the dynamic leader. Even if he's not, she is not purely devoted to Christ. So he just uses simple comparisons here. And the Corinthians should be saying, oh yeah. We don't want a false Jesus. We don't want a false spirit. We don't want a false gospel. Paul, we will listen to your knowledge. Verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? Okay. Did he commit a sin in humbling himself? Is, is humble, humbling yourself sinful? 
No, he's using humor here, okay? He's uh, over, he's dramatic, okay? So did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? What is he saying? He's, he's going to talk about his personal finances here. And now how does he use humor in verse 8? I robbed other churches. You know, I looked up that word in the Greek. It means robbed. He took money from other churches. Now, how many people, how many, how many missionaries would you like to come here and say, all right, I robbed all these churches. That's how I got my support. We'd say, eh, I don't think I'd use the word rob. Can we get a different word? But that's what the word Paul uses here. Why? Because this is, in the context, a humorous challenge to error. So what is he challenging their thinking here? He says, well, I robbed other churches in verse 8 by accepting support from them in order to serve you, and implying that I should have taken offerings from you because I'm serving you and you should have supported me, but you didn't. Verse 9, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. Now this is Achaia, uh, which is south of Macedonia, is in the north, uh, who came from Macedonia, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Still, this is humor. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. So I'm going to tell this story as I travel around Achaia. And the reason I'm traveling around Achaia, uh, I'm being supported by those in Macedonia. We've seen elsewhere in the book that the people of Macedonia had less finances uh, than the people of Achaia. So they're wealthy, but they're proud, and they are, they're probably keeping their money and not supporting Paul who has brought the gospel to them and has ministered to them so he is using humor to say where did I get my support from and if anyone in the Corinthian church is like oh, yeah we didn't really support Paul he was supported by the churches in Macedonia and the, the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians tells us that Paul was supported financially by the Philippian church uh, graciously so so simple facts about uh, support for, uh, about financial support. Um, and verse 11, and why? Why would I boast and tell people uh, that you didn't support me? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. Okay, and sometimes we have to challenge people that think that we are not worth following or uh, not, um, don't have the knowledge of God, sometimes to use humor to disarm, uh, disarm those. Parents use, dis use humor to disarm your children's arguments and say, okay, the reason I have these rules is because I don't love you. I knew it, Mom. I knew it. I knew that's why you hate me and that's why you have these hard rules and I'm not allowed to do things my friends do. Really? Come on. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't buy groceries for you. I wouldn't pay for all the medical bills for you and all this and you just start listing the names and this is how we humorously defend our ministry as parents um, with just simple facts especially when it comes to finances verse 12 and what am i doing i will continue to do in order to undermine the claim so paul says here's why i'm telling you this because i'm trying to cut these people off at the knees i'm undermining the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do now, as finances, when it comes to finances, I have been challenged uh, to pay myself more as a pastor. They, some people outside of our church think that I own this church. This is a business, and I've got my family working here, 
and we all get some income here, and that's how some churches are set up, but that's not how our church is set up. And I told this person who told me this, I said, uh, I don't decide how much I make. Uh, this is a, other people decide this, and so they decide how much I make, how much our system makes, how much, uh, and nobody's related to other people who are deciding this. This isn't a family business uh, that I'm going to pass on uh, the finances uh, to, my, to my family and my kids. Um, no, that's not how it works. Uh, but Paul says here, but some, many churches are like that. You do see a lot of wealth in the person teaching or preaching God's word or preaching something that's similar to God's word that have a false Christ, a false, and there are many Pentecostal and charismatic churches that people that lead those are extraordinarily wealthy. Um, but that's not how our church is set up. And they say, there are some that say, we're on the same team. We work on the same terms as we do. And Paul's going to say, in his day, as well as in our day, uh, no, we don't work on the same terms. Because he's going to expose them. Verse 13, he says, for such men are false apostles. How do you know a false apostle? Well, go back to verse 3, right? Look at the Jesus they proclaim, the Holy Spirit they proclaim, and the gospel they proclaim. If it doesn't, is it not matched up in scripture, then you're like, eh, No. It, it, even if they use the same language and talk about salvation, eh, no. You get Jesus wrong, you get the Holy Spirit wrong, you get the gospel wrong, you have false teachers, false apostles, deceitful workmen, verse 13, and disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. It's that way in Paul's day. If Paul lived today... He would, and just let him search on YouTube a little bit, he would be appalled at how much false teaching goes on on YouTube. On, let's see, uh, TV, on uh, so many, so many uh, false teachers out there. And uh, we don't have a list. If you're not sure if someone's a false teacher, let, give me their name after, and I'll, if I don't know them, and it's likely I don't know most of them, I'll be happy to look up and see what they believe and tell you, eh. And I'll, I'll try to use what we see. What do they teach about Jesus? What do they teach about the Holy Spirit? What do they teach about the gospel? And if they get those three things wrong, one of those three things wrong, let's see what Paul says about them. They're false teachers or false apostles. They're deceitful workmen, and they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says it's no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end, though, will correspond to their deeds. Simple exposure of false teachers. See how this matches the false teaching in the second point, four, uh, verses, uh, verse 4, to now simple exposure of false teachers. No one wants to follow someone who is false, who is lying to them. And honestly, there are some people that are false teachers. They don't know they're false teachers. This is all they have believed. This is all they've grown up with. And this is what their parents and grandparents taught them. This is the only churches they've been in, and we feel bad for them. But if you want to leave those kind of churches, 
Look at God's word. Look at what God's word says about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And it's not unclear. It's very clear who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and what he does, and what is the true gospel. And so Paul is going to expose uh, falsehood, expose false teachers. And it says here, a reminder to the Corinthians, don't follow them. Don't follow Satan. And he, remember, he also mentioned, it's interesting, Brandon mentioned Satan in our song service, but look back with me. He mentions Satan here clearly in verse 14 and 15. Look back with me at verse 3. We read over this quickly, but Satan was mentioned here as well. And what is he given credit for in verse 3? But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a simple, sincere devotion and pure devotion to Christ. All right? So don't follow false teachers, false gospel, false Jesus uh, because you are following Satan. No one in their right mind. I know there are people that follow Satan. No one in their right mind will follow someone who is their enemy. So, simple exposure to false teachers. Now, continuing the simple humor, there's just two more points for the rest of the chapter. Verse 16. I repeat, no one, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, okay, if you think of me as a fool, accept me as a fool, so that I may be, so that I may boast a little. All right, Paul, you're being foolish. Okay, accept me as a fool then, he says. What? Accept you as a fool? Yeah, so that I can boast a little in my foolishness. We all listen to people that sometimes speak foolishly. We think it's funny. Why don't you listen to me? Verse 17. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. I think the King James in this passage is, I speak as a fool. I had a teacher that said at times when he was trying to joke and it went over most of our heads, I speak as a fool. I'm like, what, what is he saying that for? Because <laughs> that's from this, this passage of scripture. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools. You like to entertain fools? Okay, so I'm going to put myself in the foolish category. I'm going to let you listen to me. And they boast about things, and so I'm going to boast too. Verse 19 continues, being wise yourselves. So you guys are wise. You can know what's foolish and what's not. So I'm going to let you discern of my boasting. Okay, and he's, he has boasted in chapter 10. He's going to boast again in chapter 12. So what is he boasting here? As a fool, he's boasting. Foolish, humorous, we would say. Um, verse 20. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Who does this? He says, if someone takes advantage of you like this, as fools take advantage of you, you accept that you think it's funny. Now, if you ever watch foolish, I mean, there's some foolish things that people do. A couple of them are very harmful to your body. Like, uh, okay, let's hold out our hands and slap our hands as hard as we can until someone gives up. And I'm, I'm watching this as a youth pastor. I'm thinking, that is the dumbest game anyone has invented. And the boys in youth group, junior high, high school, they're like, this is awesome, this is manhood. And you're like, dumb. Dumb, you're, you're ruining the back of your hand, and you've got blood vessels popping, and you got, you're like, this is, this is not smart. 
And you do this and you think it's fun. Oh, yes, it's fun. Hey, something's not connected, right? I'm here. That's what Paul's saying here. When we, when we watch people that knowingly hurt themselves, knowingly put themselves in harm's way, and they think it's fun, running of the bulls today, jumping in ice water, and in chipping, in you're like, that's, that, idiots do that, okay? You may have been an idiot, and you may have done that in your life. But I'm going to call you an idiot because the world says you're an idiot. That's what Paul's saying here. So if you guys, we watch foolishness, and Paul says, okay, you put up with fools, but when I speak foolishly, I don't get a pass. Okay, so he's saying, I am speaking to you as a fool. Okay, bear with me a little bit in my foolishness. You guys know how to do this because I see you do it. That's what he's saying here. And, he's, and he gives this list of things that make someone a slave or devours you or strikes you in the face, okay? To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that, okay? I didn't want to take part in that. And there were times when the guys in my youth group wanted me to take part in some foolish, harmful to my body things, and I said, I don't, you guys may think that's fun, but if I go home with welts all over my body and my wife says, hey, where'd you get those? Like, oh, you're playing this game. She's like, a game? What? <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense, okay? And yeah, I probably did it though as a junior high boy. Yep, so, but as a, a, a little more, but there are other things, right, that we do uh, as, as uh, grown adults that are still foolish. Verse 21 continues, but whatever, Anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? And the false teachers may have been Hebrews. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? And the false teachers may have been that. And he, he says, okay, so am I. Okay, we're putting them on the same terms. Are they offspring of Abraham? Of course, the Jewish false teachers would have said, absolutely, we're offspring of Abraham. He says, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, earlier they said they call themselves, they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ in verse 13. He says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. Now, as soon as someone says, I'm better than you, and you're talking foolishly, you're like, okay, prove it. Prove you're better, or let's go back to uh, a frozen river. You chip away ice, and you get in the water, and you're like, okay, I can stay in here longer than you. You're going to have hypothermia, you're going to end up in the hospital, but it doesn't matter, right? Because as foolish, we're just going to see who can do this longer. It's dumb. But this is what Paul's doing here. He's like, okay, here's the terms. Hebrew, Israelites, Abraham, servants of Christ, I'm a better one. And now he says, if we're not sure he's joking, he, he actually uses the word insane. I'm talking like a madman. I'm talking like I'm insane. He, and if we're unsure, I, I read this passage over and over, I have no idea what he's saying. And as soon as it realized, it dawned on me, he's trying, he's, he's being humorous. I'm like, oh, I'm reading this so serious. Like, I'm trying to like, okay, what I'm going to preach, and I don't know how in the world I'm going to share this with you. I'm like, he's joking. He's being, he's, uh, uh, he's being foolish. I'm like, oh, we all do this. We know what this is like. Okay, so, simple humor. It can challenge endurance. Simple comparisons of what people are willingly enduring. We've already read these, pat this, uh, these verses down to verse uh, 21. 
But what are people willing to endure shows how much they're willing to be willing to put up with foolishness, okay? And Paul says, this is how I'm going to um, show you endurance. What are you willing to endure? And you have that list there in verse 20, what people are willing to endure. And now he tells people, now this is seriously, what he has endured, okay? So you have a list of a resume that helps you to, uh, you want to boast, okay, fine, okay? Let's lay down some groundwork. Are they Israelites, Hebrews, servants of Christ? Yep, so am I, but I'm speaking as a madman. With far greater labors, I'll have them compare labors with me, he says. Far more imprisonments. How many times have those guys been put in prison for their false teaching? With countless beatings, how many times have they have been beat for their false teaching? And um, often near death. Five times, and now he goes into the specifics of his beatings, five times. And this is after his second or third missionary journey, he still has more beatings and shipwrecks to go. That this passage is written earlier on in, in Paul's ministry, so the things that happen near the end of the book of Acts are still yet to come. And this is a serious list here. Okay, as fools sitting around a table comparing what they've done foolishly, he says, okay, you guys think that you've suffered for Christ or these other false teachers are worth following. Let them compare resumes with this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39 times he was beaten. In one time, five times that. And the Jews had a 40 uh, whipping rule so they would stop at 39 so they wouldn't break the law. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. I don't know what that's like, but I assume it is uh, at least as bad as the lashes. Once I was stoned, we know that happened on his very first missionary journey. He was left for dead after he was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't know if you know of anyone that's shipwrecked. We don't have a lot of shipwrecks happening now, but if you uh, know of someone that was shipwrecked, it's probably a very traumatic experience, and three times Paul has endured this so far. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, floating on something. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, that's Jews, G danger from Gentiles, Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in, hung in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? Now, I am not indignant or angry at that. Simple explanations of what ministers endure. David Livingston endured similar things, being attacked by a lion and uh, the loss of many of his children, uh, his first wife. Um, life was hard for pioneer missionaries. Life is hard right now for many Christians around the world. 
They endure things like this. They are marked people for, if they are out of prison, they're marked to go back into prison as soon as they open their mouth for Christ. We have it easier here in our country. But whenever someone comes and stands here that has gone through similar things that Paul has gone through, we all listen. We all respect the people that have given a lot for the cause of Christ. And here, humor is disarming, uh, but it's also opening for truth. When you're disarmed and you put down your weapons, I'm not going to fight this guy anymore. He's smaller than me, but he knows a lot. And he, he knows the real Jesus. He is, he is really simply devoted to Christ. No one goes through this kind of thing and then comes out and tells people, I simply want you to be devoted to Christ, and they've got no platform on which to stand. Their sufferings are the platform on which they stand. They have defended the cause of Christ. Paul knows what it's like for Roman soldiers, Jewish people, mobs, to stone him, to beat him, to wish he was dead, to put him in stocks in Acts 16. And yet he keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps going. Why? Because he's simply devoted to Christ. He's a good example for us. Not a perfect example like Jesus is, but he's a good example. And when challenged, like you're not really a, a follower of Jesus or an apostle of Christ, Paul's going to go off on those people and say, okay, you may think I'm not, but have you guys endured this? Do you feel... The pressure, not only the physical stress, and I don't know how this affected Paul, but I'm sure he may have walked with a limp. He may have had scars and, and wounds. And maybe there is, his arm or back was out all the time because of the physical beatings, stonings that he had to endure. So it's serious. And he's using humor here to speak as a fool, but he's sharing some really serious things here. And then he says, as I travel around as a, as a missionary, I have the pressure, look at verse 28, I have the daily pressure on me and of my anxiety for all the churches. He feels responsible for all the churches that he started, he's helped to strengthen, and they're like the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, really struggling you can read the, the seven churches in uh, Revelation. Five of those are really, really struggling of the seven. That's just in the eastern part of modern-day Turkey. And Paul has all these churches that he's started and established, and he's got the pressure of them. These false teachers don't know what this is like. And the Corinthians, who are being tricked by the false teachers, now can compare what Paul has suffered to what their false teachers have suffered and said, Oh, yeah. These guys. No. Financially, they're fine. They have a comfortable life. They're not suffering for false teachers like, Paul, you're suffering. You have suffered. We didn't realize how much you've suffered. And he's disarmed the Corinthians and helped them to trust what he is saying as an apostle. And he says, when, when people fall, verse 29, Am I not indignant? See, when false teachers help people to fall, they're not angry that those people fell. They're probably glad. But whenever you know the truth and the truth has set you free and it's helping 
other people to be set free, and the people that you're helping to walk with the Lord, and they fall into sin again. Ugh, it's frustrating as a minister. It's frustrating as a parent. And so, simple explanations of what ministers endure. Then verse 30 to 33, and we'll be done. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, Paul had to endure these things, and Paul physically is not a specimen to behold. And that small body that he had has been beat up like this. It's caused him to even be weaker physically. And now he says, okay, you guys want to boast in all these big, powerful things, and that's how fools boast, but I'm going to show you how to boast. He's already told us in Galatians 6 how to boast, boast only in the cross. And now he says, I will boast in things that show my weakness. Who in their right mind would boast of things that show our weakness? Only humble followers of Christ. Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. Now, he has mentioned false teachers, false prophets, deceitful workmen, those who get a different Jesus, a different gospel, etc. Those, all those are liars. But Paul says here, before God, who is blessed forever, God knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, and then he shares the last story here of his suffering. At Damascus, the governor under King uh, Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I wonder why this is here, separate from the other sufferings. But this is right after Paul gets saved. Days and weeks after Paul trusts Christ, he starts preaching Christ, and then he starts suffering almost instantly. But in Acts, we're told, Part of Paul's discipleship by uh, Ananias comes and says, Paul, God has told me that you must suffer much for him. And so this, Paul knew that he was supposed to suffer. And so when, when we suffer physically, we admire people that have suffered for us. Your mom might remind you. You know, <laughs> you got to put up with me because... I gave birth to you, and that wasn't easy. Right, you have scars, or you've got uh, emotional scars from your children, from ministry that you've done. People that didn't appreciate you, they, they attacked you, and you're just trying to help them to be simply, purely devoted to Christ. What do we do? Well, sometimes it's okay to use humor to disarm people who... Um, challenge us and say, okay, if you want to talk like fools, let's talk, <laughs> okay? That's what Paul does here. And in, in talking and disarming his opponents, he shares some, some heavy truth that I think found its mark on the Corinthians and helped them to understand uh, his endurance for them, for other churches, and help them probably to endure uh, as well. So, questions to consider uh, in closing. Will we ask God for wisdom to know when to use humor, humor to challenge what is false? Obviously, we've all been at a place where humor was not appropriate at times, uh, but this instance, it is appropriate. And so God will give you wisdom. 
if you want to uh, minister for him and at times humor is appropriate um, and then to know when to use humor to share the hardships that you have endured uh, and if you talk to people that have endured a lot they have funny stories along the way if you talk to parents uh, uh, or if you have um, people that are uh, confused or losing their mind and uh, they say funny things and it's okay to laugh uh, with them and uh, we as a church we're getting to know each other uh, I hear a lot of things that I, I don't uh, repeat um, but uh, laughing with you uh, is a good way to to lighten the, the burden of ministry and I think that's what Paul's doing here to show us the appropriate use of humor to share hardships uh, of what he's endured and help help uh, these Corinthians to purely be devoted to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we know you're a God who has created us with a sense of humor and that you uh, desire to use that at times um, when it's appropriate to uh, help defend ourselves and our ministry help challenge those who are teaching what is false. And I pray you give us wisdom, discernment to know uh, when to say something humorous, when to uh, speak as a fool. And I pray that you would uh, give our parents wisdom as they parent, give our grandparents and those discipling uh, wisdom to know how to uh, walk through heavy things with people that are suffering right now. And uh, we rejoice that one day there won't be any suffering. Until then, I pray that we would be simply and purely devoted to our Savior. Challenge us if we're not. In Jesus' name, amen.